John chapter 20, verses 24 through 29. Hear now the word of our Lord. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is the word of God. May it find its way into our hearts and lives this morning by the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen. Doubting Thomas. That's the moniker by which uh, this uh, Thomas is known throughout the generations uh, by people of faith. Doubting Thomas. Many of you could be forgiven for thinking that Dowging was his first name, Thomas, Dowging, right? We so often refer to him as Dowging Thomas. He had another nickname among Jesus and the disciples. He was called Digimus, which means twin. We're never really told why. Maybe he has a twin at home. Uh, maybe he has a, a, a striking resemblance to one of the other disciples or even Jesus himself. People have speculated. But everyone in the group calls him Didymus. We don't do him that favor. We call him Doubting Thomas. And we use it pejoratively too, don't we? Like, don't be a Doubting Thomas, right? Like, Doubting is the worst thing you could do. Don't be like Thomas, that Doubting Thomas. We quote uh, 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 what Jesus says to Thomas, stop Doubting and believe. Don't be a Doubting Thomas. Don't peel away. Don't get lost. Don't flee the faith. Doubting Thomas. I don't think that name's very fair. I don't. I think when we look at at like Thomas, like in the um, in, in in the full context of his life and everything that the Gospels tell about us about him, uh, we find someone who's faithful. Faithful Thomas, right? I think we should. Maybe start it here, but try and get that name going, right? It's faithful Thomas. The first story we really see about Thomas is in the Gospel of John, and it's when, um, when, when, when Jesus is getting ready to go to Bethany. He has, he has learned that, uh, that his, his, his friend Lazarus has died. And so he says, guys, we've got to go to Bethany. And, um, and the disciples come to Jesus and say, we don't think this is a really good idea. 
Remember the last time you were in Jerusalem, they wanted to stone you? Um, well, uh, that uh, anti-Jesus sentiment is still pretty high in Jerusalem. And Bethany is, after all, kind of a suburb of Jerusalem. It's just a little too close to the heat. And in the back of their minds, they're probably all thinking to themselves, you know, we don't want Jesus to die, sure, but we really, really, really don't want to die ourselves and be caught up uh, when, uh, when, when, when they come to arrest Jesus in Bethany. And so the disciples are saying, well, maybe, you know, maybe we should, we should let things cool down. Maybe we should pay our respects later. And Thomas is the one that speaks up and says, let us go with him so that we may die with him. Does that sound like doubting to you? Or does that sound faithful? Then we, we uh, hear from, from Thomas again at the Last Supper. When, um, when Jesus is, uh, is talking about the fact that, um, that, 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 that he's going to be going away for a while. Remember, he says, in my father's house, there are many, many rooms. I'm going to go prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. And the disciples are confused by this. What's he talking about? He's going away. I thought the whole point was coming to Jerusalem. But the only disciple that has the courage to speak up is Thomas. He says, what do you mean you're going away? How are we going to know how to get back to you? See, Thomas is thirsty for the truth. He needs clarification, and he's not afraid to look for it. Doesn't that sound faithful to you? Now, the Gospels doesn't tell us really what happens to Thomas like post-Pentecost, post-resurrection, um, um, but, but Christian tradition tells us that, that he was a missionary. And so, and in fact, uh, uh, some sources say he went as far as India. Not sure if that's true, but that's the reputation he had. He was a missionary. It was well known that he was one of the martyrs, one of those that died for his faith. Doesn't that sound faithful? To you? See, when we talk about doubting Thomas, we let the doubting part have the last word. He's forever defined by asking that question that one time. But it's got to be considered, don't you think, as, as one step, one part of an entire life, a life dedicated in faithfulness to Jesus? I think when we call him Doubting Thomas, it says a lot more about us than it says about Thomas. The fact that most Christians are afraid of doubt. It's like the worst thing you can do. And for anyone to even ask a question sort of makes them radioactive or toxic in some kind of way. And so we say, don't be like Thomas, Doubting Thomas. But I think in Thomas, we can see someone who has encountered doubt and has got to the other side of it. And in Thomas, I think we can see someone who has doubted faithfully. Someone that we're all called to sort of be like. Faithful Thomas. It would surprise you to learn that 
your pastor sees three things in this passage, right? That's an old pastor trick. Pastors always see three things, right? Because that's about the time you need for a sermon is three things, right? And I try not to be that hacky. I try not to see three things all the time. But sometimes I genuinely see three things. And, and this morning I see three things in this passage that, uh, that, 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 um, that, 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 that this passage can tell us about how to confront our doubts faithfully how to be like faithful Thomas. And the first thing I see that Thomas does is he names it. He names the doubt. He tells the other disciples, here's what I need to see. I, I, need, to, I need to touch those scars, man. I need, to, I need to, to, to put my hand in that wound. I need to know that he is actually risen in the flesh and that we are not having some group hallucination. They are not having some kind of uh, a, a, a spiritual dream vision that this is actually something that has actually happened, that Jesus is actually back. I need to touch him. He names his doubt. And Christians, that's something we're terrible at. We are terrible at naming our doubts, right? Because we, we, um, uh, it's not enough that we have these doubts, and we all do, if we're honest. We all carry doubts around with us or have at one time or another. I think of doubts in like three buckets, right? One bucket is like the big stuff, right? Like, is God real? Um, uh, and if he is just, then why do, why do good things happen to, to bad people and bad things happen to good people, right? Those, those, those big existential doubts. And then in this other bucket, I think we have like the... Um, the Bible questions, right? Is the Bible reliable? Um, uh, 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 what do I do with these contradictions? Um, uh, what do I do with, um, with all of these, uh, these Old Testament laws that, that, that we, we, we don't seem to follow anymore? What do I do with, um, with uh, the fact that uh, there are times when, when God seems mean and vengeful and there are other times when, when he seems uh, loving and compassionate? How do I make sense of all of that, right? That's, and then the, the third bucket for me is like the personal stuff. God, why did you let me go through this? Why was my childhood this way and not that way? Why, 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 when, when I pray, do I feel like I'm talking to myself? When I used to feel like I was talking to my best friend, Right? Whatever bucket you're carrying around, I guarantee you've had some of those or have some of those, but we are afraid to express them. We really are. We are afraid we're going to get kicked out of Sunday school class, right? Or that everyone's going to go, for shame, for shame, for shame. For just saying what everyone else is thinking. See, we're like Charlie Brown. When I was a kid, I used to love to, to, to read those Charlie Brown comic strips because for me, like Charlie Brown was like my spirit animal because uh, he was just like this anxious, nervous kid and I was like this anxious, nervous kid. And one of my favorite Charlie Brown comic strips is he's lying in bed and he's worrying about a test that he has the next morning. And he's sitting there thinking, uh, uh, I've not studied enough. I'm going to fail this test for sure. And so he's tossing and turning, and then he starts to worry that he's tossing and turning, 
right? Because, because every hour he spends tossing and turning, he, he's going to be even more tired for this test, and he's going to do even worse on this test. And so finally, he just throws up his hands and says, even my anxieties have anxiety. And I think for Christians sometimes, even our doubts have doubts. It's not enough that we have these questions. We also have all of this, this, this scarring and baggage around the questions. We, we have all of these doubts and worries about what would happen if we asked the question out loud. Would we be shunned? If we, if, 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 if we pick, at that, pick at that thread, will the whole sweater unravel? And then what then? If, if, if I take this card, will the, whole, will the whole house come down? And so doubt is radioactive to us, and we're afraid to name it. But Thomas names it. Thomas names it, and he shows up. See, this, this to me is the most important thing. When I was a youth pastor, I used to have this trick. Um, uh, it, it was this thing that, like, if I had a really busy week and didn't really plan anything, it was something that I could pull out of my back pocket and use to do a youth lesson. And what it was, it was called the soul ball. And it was this tennis ball that I'd written the word soul on it, right? That's the kind of budget I had. And, um, and so uh, what we would do with the soul ball is, uh, is we'd sit in a circle and do like an old Wesleyan class meeting. Um, I, would, uh, I would toss the ball to someone, and whoever you tossed the soul ball to, you could ask any spiritual question you wanted, right? Um, are you reading the Bible? Are you praying? How's your spiritual life going? You know, that kind of thing. Um, what do you think about aliens, right? Just, just whatever spiritual question you wanted to ask. And then uh, they would answer the question, and then they could throw it to someone else and ask them any question, right? This is a fun, fun way to have conversations. I remember I was tossing it to this girl named Amy because Amy was someone who had been coming to youth group, and I knew that she was going through a lot of stuff at home. And I knew that, that, that something was changing in her past personality and that she was seeming um, less and less enthused to be there. And, uh, and I even suspected that, that she was there under duress, um, that, that someone was making her go. And so uh, when I tossed the ball to Amy, I said, how's it going with your spiritual life? And I'll never forget what Amy said. She said, fine, I guess I'm here, aren't I? Now, I don't think Amy meant anything like super profound by that. I think she meant, fine, I guess, I'm here, aren't I, right? But it hit me on like a profound level. That's right. It hit me on like this profound level. I was like, yeah, there is something about being here, isn't there? When so many other people just don't show up. There is something about showing up and being faithful. Sometimes we Christians, we call it going through emotions. And we always mean that like, and it's always like the church down the road over there. They just go through the motions. Don't have the spirit of God in them, right? The dead inside. They're just going through the motions, right? And, um, and, 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 we, and then sometimes we say, well, other people in church, you know, they're going through the motions. Now, you shouldn't go through emotions like every Sunday ever in your entire life. That's probably not a way to, to grow and, and commune and all of that. But there are some times when you've got to go through the motions. 
There are some times when just showing up is enough. There are some times when just saying the prayers when you don't quite yet mean the prayers or singing the song when, when, when you're not just not quite believing the song, that, that there is something in that habit. There is something in that faithfulness when you're saying to Jesus, I'm here, aren't I? That's the best I've got this morning. I'm here, aren't I? My whole denomination just tore itself up yesterday. I'm here, aren't I? I'm being faithful today, aren't I? Sometimes you just have to go through the motions. Sometimes you just have to, have to just trust that if you keep showing up, one day you'll be on the other side of it. And you'll be in that place where lightning strikes. So, this is your pastor telling you, go through the motions. It's okay. You're here, aren't you? But the other thing Thomas does is he reaches out. Thomas takes a risk. See, Jesus says, come, feel my wound. Reach out your hand, touch Touch my scar. And in reaching out, Thomas is risking discovering that it's not true. Right? He, he's risking reaching out that hand and it's just going whoosh, right through the vanishing apparition. Reaching out is always taking a risk. Whenever we pray, we are taking a risk. That we won't hear what we want to hear or we won't hear anything at all. And have to decide what that means. And so many of us just stay away because we don't want to take that risk. But when we reach out, when, when we are faithful, when we put one step before the other and, 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 keep, and, and, and keep reaching out to Jesus, we can trust that we will find him on the other side of that. See, many of us think of doubt and we think of it like it's a hole, right? Like you're just walking along in your spiritual journey and whoop, you fell into a hole, right? And when you fall into a hole, what you got to do is like get out of the hole, right? You maybe cover it with some branches or put some cones around it. So if any other Christians come by, you can say, hey, 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 hey watch out for this. Nothing to see here, folks. Go along that way, Right? And then maybe you leave and you forget you ever saw the hole, right? The one thing you don't do is keep digging, right? right? You don't want to keep digging. You don't want to keep asking those questions because that light will get smaller and smaller and smaller and soon you'll be lost forever. And so, so as Christians, sometimes we look at doubt as a hole and we say, we say, we say, we say just, just stay away from it. Too dangerous. But what if doubt's more like a tunnel? See, a tunnel you don't pass through as a wall. A doubt that you don't confront will always be a barrier between you and the place that you were called to go. But when we are faithful to doubt, when we are faithful to ask the questions, when we are faithful to put one step in front of the other, yes, it gets darker and darker. Yes, that, that light gets dimmer and dimmer, but we are trusting that the, that the pinpoint of light before us will get brighter and brighter and brighter. 
and that there will be something more real and more vibrant waiting for us on the other side. The one thing I didn't tell you about Thomas makes him different from all of the other disciples is he is the first of the disciples to call Jesus God. When he reaches out, when he shows up, when he names his doubt, and then then, then, then he gets on the other side of that, he says, my Lord and my God. See, before the resurrection, it was Messiah, it was Lord, sometimes, very rarely, it was Son of God, but Thomas is the first one to say, my God. He was the first one to get it completely all the way. And it came because he wasn't afraid. It came because he had that same boldness in the face of doubt that he had when he said, let us go with him so that we may die with him. He had the boldness to doubt faithfully. Be like faithful Thomas. Name it. Show up. Reach out. When I think of Doubting faithfully. I've probably shared this story. In fact, I know I've shared this story before. When I think of doubting faithfully, I think of the worst missionary of all time. See, usually in church, we talk about the good ones, right? The ones that like uh, went to India and, 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 and like converted a thousand people in one like sermon, right? Um, uh, we never talk about the terrible ones. And this guy is the worst missionary of all time. Uh, he was an Episcopal priest named Father John who, uh, who lived around maybe the time of the American Revolution. And he was only a priest because his dad was a priest, right? He was just sort of in the family business. And he had been really passionate about God in college, but it started to cool down. Sort of the pressures of being a priest started weighing on his life. And he realized that he was preaching things that he didn't necessarily believe And he realized that he, in his heart of hearts, he wasn't even sure that he was really saved. And so um, in a lot of Father John journal entries, he's just really wrestling with the fact that he, he never really feels saved. He never really feels like he's sure that he's sure that he's sure that God has saved him from his sins. And so he hatches this plan. I'll become a missionary. This is like the worst reason to become a missionary, right? But, but his feeling is like, if I go to the new world and I'm, I'm a missionary to, to the American Indians, then uh, I can convert some Indians and some amazing, miraculous things will happen and all the things that I see there will, 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 will make me believe, right? Um, because that, that's where God's doing stuff over there. So he gets on a boat and he goes to the New World. Um, he goes to, to Savannah, Georgia, and he never meets an Indian the whole time he's in Georgia. He's just dealing with a bunch of settlers, and, um, and he doesn't get along very well with them, and he winds up being kicked out of Georgia. You know how sideways things have to be to be kicked out of Georgia? <laughs> it was once a penal colony, right? And they said to Father John, thanks, but no thanks, right? 
And so he's, he's, he's back on the ocean, going across the Atlantic, put his tail between his legs. And to make matters worse, one night there's a huge storm. And water's going up over the side of the boat. Right? Here's how bad a missionary he is. Instead of going around to people and saying, you know, um, uh, we'll get through this together if we pray, or, or at least, like, are you ready to die? Right? Um, uh, instead of doing that, our missionary is in his room, huddled in the corner, uh, uh, praying, please don't let me die, please don't let me die, please don't let me die. And while he's in his room, huddled in a corner, he hears like uh, two, two rooms down, a group of Christians coming back from their mission trip, and, uh, and they're all praising God and singing hymns in the midst of the storm. And so Father John realizes they got something I don't got. And so when he gets back to England, he decides, I'm throwing it all away forever, right? I, I just, I can't be a priest anymore. I can't go Sunday after Sunday uh, 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 preaching about a God that I'm not even sure loves me and I'm not even sure I'm saved. And so he, he confides in one of his friends who gives him the best piece of advice he could have been given. He says, how can I who have no faith preach faith? And his friend says, preach faith until you have faith. Then you'll preach faith because you have faith. That was the best advice John could have been given. What he was being told in, in essence was keep showing up. Keep showing up. Keep reaching out. And so he did. Sometimes he was excited. Sometimes he got up and felt good in the morning and had his Bible in his arms and, and went to Bible study. Other times he had to be dragged there. In fact, one night he, 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 he writes in his journal later, he says, I went quite unwillingly to Bible study at Aldersgate Street. But when John um, went to this Bible study at Aldersgate Street, they were, um, they were reading the book of Romans and while uh, he was reading the book of Romans, something happened. God got a hold of him. And the way he described it, he said, I felt as if my heart were strangely warmed. And in that moment, I knew, I knew beyond the shadow of a doubt that I was saved and that God did love me. And John was a changed man after that. After that, Father John Wesley went back to his parish and he preached to anyone who would listen about the gospel, about, about this, 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 this encounter that everyone could have with Jesus. John Wesley, uh, uh, when, 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 uh, when he got tired of preaching to the congregation and, and, and them not responding the way he thought they ought to respond, he went to the coal mines and he stood outside the coal mines as people came out of the mines and he preached to them about this life-changing love of Jesus. And slowly but surely, there were these other people that, uh, that, that were having this same experience and they started uh, organizing themselves into these small little communities. And they began calling themselves Methodists. And you and I are here in this room today because Father John Wesley had the courage to doubt because he kept showing up 
He kept reaching out. So this morning, I just want to encourage you. If you are asking questions right now, good on you. Keep it up. Keep putting one foot in front of the other. Keep walking forward and pursuing those questions in faith that God will be meeting you on the other side of that. And if you're not, try it sometime. Be more like faithful Thomas. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.